Hello everyone, welcome to Seat of Power. I'm Pira Nada, your host, and today is Friday, April 23. Yesterday, we celebrated Earth Day, so it's just fitting that our topic today is about the biggest crisis facing the environment, climate change. And we're of course linking it to the theme of our podcast, which is political leadership. Basically, we want to ask the question, how is President Rodrigo Duterte stepping up to the climate challenge? The Philippines just took a big step in addressing global warming. We submitted our pledge to the United Nations to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by 75% by 2030 compared to the business as usual scenario. But it's important to note that most of the 75% is hinged on international aid. Meaning, if we don't get assistance from foreign countries or international organizations, we can't reduce those emissions. But 2.71% of that target is unconditional, meaning the Philippine government commits to reduce 2.71% of emissions using its own resources and funds. I've invited environmental scientist Rex Barrer to join me in this episode. Rex is a senior associate for climate governance um, in the Institute for Climate and Sustainable Cities, which advises the Climate Change Commission on climate policies. He's had over two decades of experience in climate and environment work, and he teaches sustainability and urbanization at the Ateneo School of Government. Welcome, Rex, to Seat of Power. Thank you. Thank you, Pia. Right, so I'll go ahead and ask my question since this is a very timely topic, something I'm really personally interested in. Um, firstly, what are your thoughts on the submitted MBC? Is it ambitious enough? Is it a good compromise? When we look at the uh, MBC, you have to recognize that it has to be taken in the context of the circumstances uh, of the Philippines or any country for that matter. And therefore, what is key or what is critical in looking at it is whether it addresses what we need while at the same time looking at how we can contribute to the emissions reduction. And so uh, for our case as a developing country, what is important is that we look at uh, whether it is uh, anchored on uh, the industrialization as the, as the government has stated is uh, critical to how we move forward from this. No? Uh, as a developing country, what's critical as well is the fact that uh, what we are offering is primarily uh, anchored on adaptation with mitigation as a co-benefit. And in that context as well is that we, we have to uh, emphasize that we need to look at our resilience and that any commitment that we provide uh, internationally is consistent with that. So if we look at the degree of, of how far we want to take our Uh, our emissions reduction, it has to be in the context of where we want to be uh, five years or 10 years down the road. Mm-hmm. So, tama ba what you're saying is um, for the situation we're in, tama lang yung NDC because anyway, we're not a major emitter. And in fact, uh, most of the concerns on climate change in our context is mostly for adaptation, meaning how we can make our country more resilient against the impacts of climate change. I mean, more than diba, the responsibility of reducing our emissions, it, we, our responsibility is to take care of the, our people so that they are more prepared for the impacts of climate change. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a very good summary of, of, of uh, the statements that I've made. It's, it's critical that uh, we emphasize uh, adaptation towards where we, where we want to go as a, as a develop, developing country. And in that context as well, the, amount of 
support in order to address our own adaptation uh, is important and this is uh, in a way a challenge as well to the developed countries uh, in relation to their own commitments to provide that support not only to the Philippines but also to other countries. Mm. Uh, actually, I covered the climate change policies during the Aquino administration and I remember that our initial pledge was actually less ambitious. It was 70% reduction, but entirely conditional, and also by 2030. And then in 2016, right, when the president, the president Duterte came into power, he had a big problem with that pledge, that intended NDC. He even floated the possibility of withdrawing from the Paris Climate Change Agreement. What you are trying to stem is with, with an agreement that hanggang dito lang kayo, dito lang ka, will maintain the present emission. But that's stupid. I will not honor that. Sabi niya, but you signed the... the uh, that's what, that was not my signature. Somebody else says, not mine. We go, you we better... Uh, I will not follow. Eh, kayo kung iyong mataas na inyo, along the way, lahat ng basura, all these centuries, tapos ngayon, uh, paakyat lang kami ng amin. Eh, mag-limit-limit kayo, eh, sabi ko. How about the sign... Convention. That is not my signature. We will make a new one. Or we do not honor at all. And um, after that, I interviewed then Climate Change Commissioner Vernice Victorio, and she said naman, na Duterte was eventually persuaded to stay in that agreement because he was told that the pledge, the INDC, could still be changed. And then just last December, the Climate Change Commission showed a draft NDC, and it was very, very different from the Aquina time NDC because, um, for one thing, it was a lot less ambitious, right? only 30% emissions reduction by 2040, and mostly conditional, but there is 2% unconditional reduction. And we have to note that in the, in the Aquina time NDC, there is unconditional reduction at all. It was completely conditional. So um, then that NDC submit uh, presented in... December. It was just a draft, but the civil society groups reacted very strongly, calling it shameful. And um, after that, we know that they changed it to a much better 75% reduction target with a slightly higher unconditional target of 2.71%. Um, so yeah, that's what we have now. So my question is, what eventually led to this change in our NDC from your end, looking into this picture? Well, uh... If I, if I understood the process correctly, there was a recognition, for example, of other potential areas where improvements can be made, as well as recognizing the steps that, have, that we have already taken, our government has already taken, in order to uh, increase that ambition. You know? uh, in fact, for example, in the case of the Department of Energy, uh, Duterte himself already referred to uh, an instruction to Secretary Kusi regarding increasing the contribution or, or, or the uh, percentage of renewable energy in the entire energy mix. And then there, we already uh, have seen the department itself uh, make, it, make a declaration regarding the coal moratorium and so on and so forth. The intent, for example, of the Department of Energy to uh, improve upon what they have already presented or, or committed through the sectoral uh, mitigation options, uh, particularly regarding the National Renewable Energy Program. So 
the uh, expression of the DOE, for example, of their leadership in making these shifts is very important, uh, as well as the fact that uh, the Department of Transport, uh, representing the, the transport sector for that matter, already uh, put an initial uh, position that all their uh, options were already what you can consider unconditional, and therefore they recognize that they can actually proceed with all the options without any uh, additional aid or support or means of implementation elsewhere. No? So all these things can be considered as, uh, as things that would be uh, supporting what or where we want to go. No? And in uh, aspects regarding the conditionality, while we do recognize that there are, there are uh, opportunities there that are already uh, being implemented, uh, should also sort of provide a signal again to uh, developed countries that we cannot uh, attempt or make uh, a dent in our own emissions reduction if there's no support that's provided. Initially, I think in that as well, you, that he was actually uh, hesitant at the start regarding whether he would uh, push through with our own uh, membership or, rat or the ratification of the of the Paris Agreement. So, um, but at the same time, again, I think the uh, recognition that any commitment that would be made to the Paris Agreement through the NDC uh, is not in conflict with our own uh, direction or, or economic development. So that's, that's very critical. Uh, if these are uh, in alignment with one another, uh, the efforts, for example, should be uh, consistent with how we move forward. Hesitation towards the, the conclusion of uh, President Aquino's term, as well as the transition to the, uh, the current administration regarding whether we will continue or pursue our uh, being a party to the Paris Agreement. Uh, that would be understandable in the context of the fact that uh, if developed countries are expected, uh, if developing countries rather, are expected to uh, see through their commitments uh, in emissions reduction. Uh, it shouldn't be uh, at the expense of our uh, industrialization uh, and that the bigger bulk of the responsibility for reducing emissions would be those from the developed countries. Uh, and therefore, their own commitments should show that, aside from the provision of the Paris Agreement as well, that they should provide means of implementation, particularly on climate finance, to support uh, developing countries. What's curious to me also, sir, is how um, the NDC this time yeah, is more ambitious, but we remember yeah, that um, the Aquino NDC, which was less ambitious, that Duterte had a problem even with that. So it seems like there was some change of mind na um, eventually he was made to, to realize, I don't know, that um, kaya pala natin. Would you know mm -hmm. from speaking with the Climate Change Commission, from your view as a CSO involved in these um, negotiations and presentations, what eventually led the president or Malacanang to agree to an even more ambitious NDC? Oh, uh, if uh, we're not only looking at it in the context of the shift 
of President Duterte uh, at that point. We recognized that uh, following the submission of the INDC in 2015, uh, the climate change mission already started to work on how we, although of course those were uh, were practically all conditional, uh, and whether that whether instead of let's say making a new a new uh, NDC, uh, we would submit that again. Um, in the end, I think the decision was that again to look at how uh, government can take this on consistent with how uh, we can pursue critical aspects like energy security, uh, our own national industrialization, um, and other aspects, for example, that were already identified, I think, in the, in the process by which they worked with the different agencies. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, in December, they presented a 30% uh, commitment, but again, uh, the challenge was that seemingly, if you compare a 70% reduction to a 30% reduction, even if you have a 2% uh, aspect to it that was unconditional, it might seem to be inconsistent with the Paris Agreement which requires that uh, any country that submits an NDC should provide uh, its contributions reflecting the highest possible ambition. And so if you look at it from that context, it was, uh, it was then uh, necessary for government to look at the numbers again. Uh, it's crucial to consider uh, that in the current administration, again, there are already a lot of policies that built on what was previously present. Um, the IPIRA law, for example, was actually before the uh, Aquino administration. But recognized as well was that when the Aquino administration come, came in, we had, for example, the Climate Change Act, as well as its amendment that introduced, for example, the People's Survival Fund, which was key, mm -hmm. and which is not something that a lot of con developing countries particularly uh, initiated uh, an internal fund for the country you know, that, that can be used. You know? uh, and again, that shows the importance or the degree of, of relevance of how adaptation should be uh, given primacy, primacy to where we want to go. Um, and then when the Duterte administration came in, the different programs as well that, that, that may have been uh, already in the works, but now is given more importance. For example, we do have an existing coal tax now. We do have, uh, for example, what I've mentioned earlier, that we have a, coal, a declaration of a coal moratorium. Uh, the Banco Central of the Philippines, for example, also came out with its sustainable finance framework. The other programs, again, of the DOE, for example, the Green Energy Options Program, the Green Energy Options Program. Now, all of this, for example, should be taken as a whole. No? 
building up on what was provided by the Aquino administration and even before that. No? And so it's key to look at it as a continuum wherein uh, whatever initially was uh, the plans of say the Aquino administration should now be the foundation or the floor of the succeeding administration. And it's now a challenge to the succeeding administration to uh, President Duterte because uh, again, the rule is that we have to submit something more ambitious than before mm -hmm. as part of the ratcheting up mechanism. And the next administration, in fact, will be uh, overseeing not only the submission of the 2025 NDC, but will also be uh, overseeing uh, the global stock taking, which will happen in 2023 as well as 2028. So the global stock taking the two global stock taking bookends the next administration. Uh, what is valuable for the next administration in that sense is being able to take the lessons from the global stock taking and incorporate it into the new uh, NDC in 2025. And thereafter see again how the 2025 NDC will become valuable for the next one. So what I'm getting from you, sir, is this sense that despite the president's uh, first remarks in 2016, the bluster, the anger, the even the threat against the Paris Climate Change Agreement, we actually have seen him retain um, a lot of the Aquino time policies and that parang wala naman masyadong obstacle or like hiccup or big parang, uh, parang re, uh, counter swerve to the climate policies we were already pursuing. And I, I guess coming from someone who's been observing Malacanang for all this time since 2016, the, the support of the cabinet really counted a lot in this because um, I recall the president saying that he decided to sign the instrument of accession to the Paris climate deal because a majority of his cabinet actually wanted him to do that. So um, is this something you also sense that uh, despite everything, the words ano naman eh, parang tuloy-tuloy pa naman yung climate change policies natin. You may you might also want to add when when you when you mentioned that, for example, the appointment of uh, the current Secretary of Finance mm -hmm, to oversee right. the work of the Climate Change Commission is also critical uh, in that uh, you see the link now of not only looking at climate change as an environmental issue but that it is anchored again on the economic development of the country. And in fact, the technical working group that the uh, government financial institution, as well as the, uh, uh, the planning agency. You know, uh, NED had its own uh, role, for example, in, in ensuring, for example, that whatever uh, options that were uh, offered uh, or provided at the table would have to be consistent with the longer uh, longer term plans, you know, not only until 2025, but up to 2040, which is which is why that, that's the context of of our own commitments because they wanted to anchor it to ambition 2040 as well. Is this um, an addition or a change that you only saw in the Duterte admin, the inclusion of? NEDA of the DOF leadership, this is something you only saw under the Duterte government presidency. Uh, what's, what's unique in that sense is that uh, 
there are more members of the cabinet, as you already mentioned, uh, becoming more involved in how this is being pursued. No? Of course, there are still other aspects to how we would want to uh, improve upon our commitments. No? There are still uh, opportunities there for the local government to come in uh, as well. Uh, but the fact that a lot of the other agencies that you didn't normally or you haven't normally associated with work on climate change are, are already involved, it's a very, very good sign. It's a, it's a reflection on, on, the, on the secretaries themselves that they are looking at this more seriously or more critically. Uh, and that this no longer is a, a niche or a niche for, for uh, only particular agencies to become more involved. Then one issue that um, the, some groups brought up when the NDC was presented and explained in a forum uh, a few days ago was the burden sharing. Because the unconditional NDC reduction uh, in, involves the PUV modernization, which we know during the pandemic, the man, controversial yeah, because the jeepney drivers felt that they were dis being discriminated. They were not allowed to fly their usual routes because prioritization would go to the the modern the modern PUVs. So uh, um, safe to say that it's not a very popular program, and yet it's part of our NDC, which means yeah. there is really pressure to implement this program. So how? As, a, as someone observing these policies being implemented, how do you think the government should implement the NDC in a way that is just, equitable, and effective? Hmm. Uh, let's take it off from let's take off from that example that you provided. I think what is key in 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 the programs that that we want to pursue, for example. Uh, in line with that would be to recognize that's what, what's more important is that we are able to move uh, more people rather than uh, uh, have more vehicles per se. And, and I mean this in the context that uh, public transportation or mobilization of people is key. And, and for example, other opportunities for what used to be alternative uh, forms of transport like uh, bicycles, for example, or uh, in fact, uh, providing the public infrastructure uh, so that we are able to say, move uh, more people to their uh, intended destinations rather than have just uh, private vehicles, for example, on the road. But that also includes, for example, the uh, road infrastructure that we sh should be able to say, dedicate or designate uh, uh, roads uh, that, uh, that would give primacy to uh, public vehicles in that context. No? So uh, the, the modern modernization program, for example, the public uh, utility vehicle modernization program should be taken in the context that uh, while we recognize uh, the uh, effort to reduce emissions from that perspective, no? that this is uh, largely uh, seen from the lens of climate change, it should not uh, take away from the fact that uh, as a public uh, as a pub, as a public form of transport, uh, it is actually consistent with let's say being able to move more people rather than just uh, the emissions that that, that that is covered there. In fact, uh, that should also be the case, or that should be the perspective perspective taken for the entire. Uh, uh, public 
transport. No? So that's key. Um, same thing with other options that we're looking at. The more people, for example, who uh, benefit from this from these programs, that would be in keeping with what the objectives of submitting the NDC would be, and that is to uh, ensure the economic development of of uh, more people and that are affected by not only climate change but also the pandemic it's really the question of saan mapupunta naman yung jeepney drivers or like you know filipinos who are caught in the middle diba? on one hand we have the government promising these reductions on the other hand we have these um communities who uh if we actually do what the government is saying they stand to lose for example their livelihood um they're caught in a bind because for example the puvs that the government wants them to replace their current units with are around a million pesos. They can't afford that. Uh, who will help them uh, make that transition to clean energy uh, when you know they they don't see really how it will redound to their benefit? Because at the end of the day, all they care about is um, making a living, surviving. Uh, it's, you know, it's um, an issue that's uh, very close to the stomach. It's a gut issue. So yeah, and how do we help naman yung mga Filipinos who are caught in the middle? How do we make sure that uh, we we pursue these reduction targets, but still consider uh, the effect to the lives of normal Filipinos. Right. What's crucial there is the uh, the programs or plans and measures that uh, were incorporated into the NDC. Also consider, for example, uh, what is referred to as a just transition, and that whatever uh, actions that we take uh, in the process of making that shift, we do not uh, leave people behind, even if, for example, again, uh, we are able to meet our targets of reducing emissions. No? So what we don't want to happen is that there's a conflict between uh, what I mentioned earlier as, a, as the NDC actually being the industrialization strategy and as part of the industrialization strategy you cannot look at it only from how much emissions we actually reduce or how much we have improved our uh, our, our ability uh, moving forward to not emit the same level of emissions uh, that is useless in that uh, context alone because we pursue all these options uh, making sure that it is again in the context of our own uh, economic development so citing the the case uh, that you've identified what is crucial in that context now particularly uh, with the uh, the green jobs act for example that 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 has already also passed into law uh, and the accompanying uh, implementing rules and regulations is for government to, to ensure that whatever uh, programs are in place, reducing emissions is accompanied by programs and plans to address uh, livelihoods or employment for those who were previously uh, engaged in this, in this form of livelihood. Um, we don't want to look at it in the context of uh, success only because of being able to meet our own international commitments. International commitments is useless if that means there are people who will suffer in the process. So 
it's 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 key that with the submission of the NDC, uh, it's actually the implementation that follows, which is critical. So this is this is this is now where the rubber meets the road. In that, uh, this is what you said that we will do uh, as our commitment to the UNFCCC. Make sure that the other side of the coin uh, reflects that no one is going to be uh, losing in the end. That that's 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 counterproductive in terms of where we want to go. Mm -hmm. Okay, and my last question, sir, is because we're looking towards um, I mean, a long-term plan, right? The NDC is a signal for um, action that will span many administrations. It's not just the pre the Duterte presidency. In fact. Um, the Duterte presidency is already reaching its zenith, diba? 2022 na next year, elections na, um, it will right. be for the next president to really implement this NDC. So, um, you as a climate advocate, what do you want to hear from 2022 presidential candidates about the NDC, about climate change pledges? What should we be looking out for when we look through the roster of candidates out there and try to assess their climate stances? Mm. Uh, the challenge for any candidate who wants to, to take on the mantle of the presidency to be able to translate the issue, for example, of climate change to what is basic to Filipinos in that sense. Again, we've, we've, you've already cited the example, livelihoods, uh, shelter, uh, food, for example, security, essentially that uh, they do not necessarily have to worry about where the money is or how they will be able to feed uh, their family in the next day. And uh, in a way, what's good about what we're going through now is that it exposed the weaknesses in the systems. Now this pandemic in a way, and we are, we are in this pandemic for a little more than a year already, and we've seen what the weaknesses are in, in, the, in the infrastructure. And, when you look at it, let's say, for example, we're able to uh, address all the all the issues that come with this. With this, uh, it's supposed to be a wake-up call, or that there are a lot of lessons to be learned from a year's length of pandemic, and how we can translate that to address climate change. Uh, we've had climate climate change for the longest time. It's not just an event that happened last year and therefore we've already gained the lessons. We have seen this happen and the more uh, that we do not necessarily uh, confront the, the implications of climate change, particularly uh, uh, in the economic sphere. No? Um, we've already seen, for example, its impact on the environment. And we can address that in that context. But what is at the crux of the, of the issue of climate change is not only environmental, but it's actually economic. And so there are paradigm shifts that have to be made in order to address climate change successfully. And that is the reason why we don't necessarily just offer solutions that would address the environmental aspect, but that there are also uh, bread and butter issues related to climate change. And we've seen that as well in the pandemic. No? Uh, and this is not the last pandemic, for example, that we might confront. And that is also the case for climate change. No? 
we are still uh, finding out a lot of uh, things that we probably were not clear about climate change, but it's clear that it's, it's happening. Uh, it's us, uh, it's warming. Um, it's something that we can do something about. No? It's not necessarily just a vaccine. No? Climate change doesn't have a vaccine. It actually takes very comprehensive effort in order to address these things. And it's not something that you can hope will not uh, manifest itself again, simply because you've uh, decreased your emissions. So there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of aspects to it that uh, makes it a, a wicked or super, super wicked problem that we should all attempt to, to uh, confront together if you want not only to, if you want not only to survive, but actually thrive and see a better future, not only for us, but for all the other people that are affected by it. There's no place on earth that you can, that you can hide from climate change. Right. That's a very sobering insight. And we hope that our leaders will take that into note. I mean, I especially like your insight that this is really an economic issue. And even if the people think climate change is far beyond, um, you know, like understanding the technicalities, technicalities of it, it's very abstract to a lot of people. In fact, it's not. It's, it's our survival. It's our food, our electricity, our shelter. So uh, Rappler will continue to monitor the NDC implementation. We will continue to give you updates on how um, our government is pursuing our climate pledge. Thank you so much, Rex, for being here with us and explaining this very important issue. Uh, and um, thank you also for everyone listening to this episode of Seat of Power. Um, and happy Earth Day to everyone. And we hope that you stay in tune for our next episode where we talk more about how political leadership in the Philippines is affecting Filipinos. Again, I'm Pierre Nada. Thanks for listening. <laughs>